draw your attention back to Ephesians 3. We'll look to God's Word beginning in verse 8 and read through verse 13. Ephesians 3, verse 8. To me, Paul said, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning, Lord, with boldness, access, and confidence through Christ. Lord, what a privilege it is to be brought into Your presence. Lord, what a privilege it is to have Your Word. What an amazing thing to be called the children of God, to be adopted as sons. Lord, we thank You for this. We thank You for redemption. We thank You that we've been reconciled. Lord, teach us from Your Word this morning. Lord, make known to us some of these things that are mysterious. May the Spirit aid us in our understanding. And Lord, may we feel Your presence here among us this morning. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen. It's a remarkable thing to see the unfolding of mysterious things. It's a very remarkable thing. The first three chapters of this epistle to Ephesians are just full of deep, deep things. Mysterious things that our mind can only just begin to comprehend. We have such small minds. There's doctrine in these passages that run so deep. They're old doctrines. 
They're doctrines that were around long before us. Doctrines that were around before the foundation of the earth. Before we were created. There are things that are hard to understand. Things that are difficult to fathom. We are time and space bound creatures, aren't we? And there's some things in here that we go, go way beyond time and space. We don't yet have the understanding of the angels. And there are realms into which we can only catch a glimpse. But there's something in this portion of Scripture that we are looking at this morning that just amazes me. Even the minds of the angels, which are so infinitely or are so far beyond what our minds can comprehend. Even the minds of the angels are so far from being the mind of God. So far from being able to understand and grasp and know what God knows. There are things that even the angels are being shown, that are being revealed to them. The way God is revealing to them is a humbling thing to us. He is revealing some of these mysteries even to the angels through the church. We find in our text, beginning in verse 10 here this morning, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is something very remarkable that Paul reveals to us here. This is not something new. Paul has hinted at this in, in texts prior uh, to this. In, in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is the we here in that verse that we just read? Well, it's, it's nothing else but those who he already spoke of earlier, is it not? Those who have been chosen in Christ, if we look back through our first chapters here, those chosen in Christ, predestined to adoption through Christ, redeemed through Christ's blood, all according to the purpose which the Father set forth in Christ. Over and over again, once again, we've said this numerous times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ is Paul's uh, repeated phrase, in Christ. And although this is an individual thing, we're chosen individually, we're adopted individually, we're redeemed individually, and so on, it is something that becomes a collective identity and a collective unit of individuals that is taking place here in Scripture. Ephesians 1.23 brings in this concept of the body, the church, under the headship of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 then says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the individuals making up the body, making up the church, are put on display as His workmanship. We, we've talked about this a little bit before. 
they become the displays of glory, the glory and the power of God in what he is doing through the salvation of sinners and uniting them together into the body of Christ, which is the church. This even is brought more out in, in the second chapter by putting on display what, what God has done for the Gentiles, these aliens, these, these strangers, by reconciling them, by giving them access and making them one body with the people of God, Jews and Gentiles. Do you see what a work that God the Father is doing through God the Son? And I might add that all of this is done in the open. This is not done in some secretive back room somewhere. This is done out in the open to reveal the glory and the grace, the power of God. It's on display for all to see. We saw then that Paul has been called to be a minister of this gospel, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to these that were once outside the camp, once aliens, once strangers, far away from access to God. Paul, now in our text this morning, is giving us another look at the purpose of that. What is the purpose of this ministry that he has been given? He touched on part of it in verse 9. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And and then we see in the beginning of our text here this morning in verse 10, one of those connecting phrases, we've talked about these a lot here in Ephesians, these, these, these phrases that connect us to that which he's talked about prior to. So that through the church, something may be made known. He uses that that phrase, so that. It's connecting back to what he has said earlier. He's been given this, this preaching ministry. He's been given this gift of God's grace, made a minister of this grace of God to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery hidden for ages in God. Before we go any further, let me ask you, have you ever really considered what God is doing through His dealing with this sinful mass of humanity? Have you ever really considered that? What He's doing in taking out of this this mass of Mankind, this sinful mankind that has has fallen into sin. They're at enmity to God. What is he doing in taking out of that a people for his own possession? Choosing them, redeeming them, reconciling them out of this rebellious lot of mankind. And he's making them into new creatures. 
Have you ever really sat and pondered the implications of that? And why? And what are the reasons for this? We should be thinking about this, and we should be thinking about this all the time. Paul is dealing with this in our text and in the text prior to this. And in Scripture that we find elsewhere in other epistles from Paul. It's a fact, most definitely a fact, in one sense, that this is done for you, to you, and in you. But that's not the ultimate purpose. There's something bigger. There's there's something more profound. There's some deeper purpose here in what God is doing. And us as Christians have the immense blessing and the privilege of being the display piece for what God is doing and what God is revealing. What would we do in our lives? What, what would this, this understanding of this do for us in our lives, in our attitudes, in our interactions with others, in our witness, if we really meditated upon this reality? Paul will get to part of what, this, what happens when we, when we understand this in verse 13. In light of hardship and suffering. But I, I want to urge you throughout this week and for the rest of your lives to consider what Paul is revealing to us through God's Word here this morning regarding this purpose. This is the purpose we are looking at in light of, because of, so that, verse 10 starts, so that. There is a purpose in what God is doing. In, in Paul's letter to 2 Timothy, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, not, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So let's go on. So that the manifold wisdom might be made known. What is this manifold wisdom? This is a word we don't use much anymore. The Lexham English Bible, its translation of the Bible, translates it not manifold, but many-sided. The Christian Standard Bible translates it multifaceted. Another Bible translation reads this and translates it like this, the wisdom of God in its rich variety. Commentators have described this word manifold to be translated as iridescent wisdom or multicolored wisdom. I don't really think there's a single word in the English language that can honestly capture what Paul is trying to say here. One of the ways this word manifold is still used in our world today is to define a chamber that branches out into several openings. And I believe this may be 
why so many Bible translations use that word manifold. All different angles and from different directions leading to one thing. This may be the meaning that Paul is trying to get at, uh, as there are many different things that God has done and is doing that display His wisdom. Many of these things are somewhat hidden, but when they reach the intended purpose, they bring forth a beauty and an elegance that only the greatest and the most comprehensive wisdom could ever hope to achieve. This is what God is doing throughout history. Think back to when we talked a few weeks ago about that perceptual artwork. Do you remember us talking about that? There are so many different facets and, and, and various objects that seemingly are unconnected and separate from each other until it's brought into focus from the vantage point designed by the artist for it to be seen and to reveal the art as they created it. It's at that point that the wisdom of the artist is made known when the purpose, when the purpose for all these seemingly contradictory things is revealed. This meaning could also be more tied to the multifaceted or iridescent, iridescent wisdom of God, putting emphasis on the fact that from every single angle you view this, there is a beauty to it. It's like a diamond, a perfectly cut, clear diamond, that no matter how you hold it, and you hold it up to light, it just sparkles. It's beautiful. It sparkles and it shines. It doesn't matter if you're looking at the top or at the bottom, at the sides. No matter which facet or which cut of that diamond you're looking at, it just seems to be full of light. In each and every aspect of redemption, God's wisdom is on display and shines forth. In every aspect of redemption. Well, let's look at to whom this manifold wisdom is revealed. This is very interesting to me. Paul tells us in the last part of verse 10 that it is made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Paul has already mentioned in chapter 2, verse 2, the prince of the power of the air. And then later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he will mention these rulers and authorities again when he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Here in our text this morning, Paul just states rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Most commentators agree that this is in reference to the angelic hosts in the spiritual realm. What they don't seem to agree upon is whether that's evil hosts, holy hosts, or both. There are those among these rulers and authorities in heavenly places that Spurgeon would call the bright and glorious spirits never having fallen into sin. These are the angels who never fell, 
These who have no need of redemption, as they have not rebelled against God. And then there are those angels who fell in rebellion to God. In Matthew 25, 41, we read that there is an eternal fire prepared for these devil, this devil and his angels. It may be both are in view, and the whole spiritual the whole realm of spiritual rulers and authorities are in view, and it is to all of them that God is making known to them His manifold wisdom through the church. I wish we had time to look at all of the different ways in which this might come into play in the Scripture. What did it say to the devil and his hosts? when that grave was opened up three days after the crucifixion. What did it say? What did it say to the holy angels when the resurrection occurred? It is interesting, I think, to note that all of the angels have seen much of the wisdom of God in the creation of the world. All that God did in the opening pages of Genesis, they were witnesses to that. They see His wisdom and the greatness and the complexity of creation through His creative wisdom. But there's something I think we need to be very aware of. These created beings, these Those that are creatures themselves, these angels, are not omniscient. They may have a lot of wisdom. They may have understanding that we don't have, but they are not omniscient. They do not possess the knowledge and wisdom and power of God. They too are created beings. They are altogether separate and altogether less than God. They were created to praise Him and to serve Him. But we have to remember, remember back to Isaiah 6. These holy angels, the seraphim, they even cover their creatureliness. Do you remember? Isaiah 6, 2 through 3, above Him stood the seraphim. Since when Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Saw His holiness, didn't He? And above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. They, in their holiness, can't even look upon the holiness of God. They've got to blind their eyes from the beauty and the brilliance of God's holiness. With two they flew so that they might fly around and cry to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And with two, they what? They covered their feet. That sign that they were creatures in the presence of one who is the Creator. Even these creatures, with so much splendor in their elevated state, they long to look into the things pertaining to to salvation. 
their wisdom does not reach to that high a plane. In 1 Peter 1.12, we read it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that you have that have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel, the, excuse me, the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. They long to look into this thing that we call salvation. This work of God in redeeming a people, they long to understand and to see. Is this salvation not a most marvelous thing? That even holy angels would long to understand it and to see what it is that God is doing through it? There's no redemption for angels, but God provided redemption for fallen man. It's being revealed to them through the purpose and plans of God being worked out in the gathering together in one body, a people, the church, Jew and Gentile, that these plans of God regarding salvation are being revealed to them. This is being revealed not through creation, Mentioned in the last part of verse 9 here. When it says that there, there is that to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is not being revealed through creation. But it refers back to what Paul is saying before. In Ephesians 3, 8 and 9. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this, the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Do you see the connection in the way Paul describes this plan? The plan hidden for ages now revealed. It was hidden, it is now revealed now being made known to the rulers and authorities. What is that mystery? In a word, we could go back to verse 4. It is the mystery of Christ. It is what Christ has accomplished in His saving work, which He has purposed before the foundation of the world, hidden in God until it was time to reveal it in gathering to Himself a people, Jew and Gentile, making one body out of the two. In Christ, uniting them together as God's people, the church being joined together, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Consider how mysterious this is that even angels long to look into it, to peer into it, that they themselves might see the manifold wisdom of God on display. All through history, God working, constantly working, threading this stitch through each and every moment and action, 
weaving it through that which men meant for evil. Isn't that what we, what we learn from Joseph's story? You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. How is it that this great God, what kind of wisdom must it take for this great God to weave through the sinful actions of man a thread that leads to His glory and honor and the salvation of His people? Do you see what a mystery this is? That even the angels long to look into. Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there hardship? Why is there difficulty? It's God weaving that spindle through the fabric to make His grand display of His glory and His power and His wisdom through the redemption of His people. Do you ever wonder why the Bible tells us so much of the faults of our heroes even in Scripture? Because it's part of the mystery. Look through the genealogy of, of Christ himself and see the sin, the debauchery that exists in the genealogy of Christ. We can't find a single person save the God-man who was holy who is righteous, all sinful, all fallen short, the greatest heroes of the faith. You go through Hebrews chapter 11 and you read about our great heroes of the faith. Every single one of them was a sinner. Every single one. But God, in His manifold wisdom, weaving and stitching through that, this cord of love, and of grace, and of mercy in uniting His people to Christ. What appears to us, and maybe to the angels, is something of a mystery. A jumbled mass of confusion, and seemingly unconnected threads of different colors, until at last God's work is revealed in and through Jesus Christ. The tapestry is revealed and the wisdom of each and every thread is brought to bear in the majestic work of the weaver. How beautiful is the work of God. How magnificent is the view of His wisdom, His manifold wisdom, His multifaceted, His iridescent wisdom. And this was according to the eternal purpose, verse 11 tells us, to the eternal purpose that He realized in Christ Jesus. Every bit of this display is realized in Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. This all came together and was put on display according to the purpose of God the Father and realized in the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, God the Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't this what he has been telling us? What Paul has been telling us as he opened this epistle? Look at Ephesians 1, 3-6. through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, it's not a mystery. It's not veiled. It's put on display in and through the church of Jesus Christ, which He purchased with His own blood. On display for the world, on display for rulers and authorities in heavenly places, the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God being showcased, being revealed for His glory and honor all through the Son, all through Christ Jesus, realized in and through Him. Second Timothy 1.9 reads, he, right, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of what? Of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus. And when did He do that? Before the ages began. This is exactly what Paul in Ephesians has been dealing with. There would be no church if not for Christ. There would not be a church. There would not be a people of God. There would be no salvation, no redemption, if not for the wise plan of God realized in Christ Jesus. You and I would still be lost. We would still be bearing on, our, uh, on ourselves the, the wrath of God against our sin. We would still be at enmity to Him. We would still be strangers to Him, aliens without hope, without God in the world. Do you see what Paul has been revealing over and over, block upon block, as we've gone through Ephesians? He's been revealing through the Spirit to us our confidence as Christians, our only hope for salvation. And if you're still lost and dying, Paul says, this is where you will find hope in but God. And then he goes on again and he says, you were without hope and without God in the world, separated from God, but now in Christ 
Jesus, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is exactly what Paul is getting at in in verse 12. In whom? Realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Look back sometime in the Old Testament and see for yourself with what boldness and confidence the priest would come close to the holy. How many perished? Did they have the boldness and the confidence and the access that we have today? There were many that perished because they came in a different manner than what God prescribed. How many were burned up coming in their own way and in methods not prescribed by God? I can only imagine it was on pins and needles that the priest would offer a sacrifice to God. And how much more than the high priest when he entered that holy place behind the curtain once a year. The Christians... Do you see what a privilege we have in Christ Jesus? Look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. And we've read this numerous times, but like I said, it's building block upon block. But God, being rich in mercy, this is after when He starts off Ephesians 2, telling us what a dreadful state we're in, right? Dead in trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up, and listen, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You and I, if we are Christians, even now, in Christ Jesus, we have already been raised up and are seated with Him. Where is that seat? It's His throne. It's where God dwells. We are seated in Christ Jesus in that holy place that the high priest back in the Old Testament could only go in once a year. We are in Christ who is seated in the holy place now and forever. Paul says we have boldness. And we have access. And we have confidence. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our sacrifices are acceptable because of the sacrifice of Christ. Once for all, He entered into that holy place. Our great high priest entered in. Is that not what Hebrews tells us? Look at Hebrews 9, verse 12. And then if you want to leave a finger there, we'll get back to Hebrews 10 in a second. But in Hebrews 9, verse 12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Why did those priests in the Old Testament have to go in once a year? Because it wasn't a perfect sacrifice. It pointed to the sacrifice that would once for all perfect forever all those who are being sanctified. The one great sacrifice has been made and there is no more a need for that type of sacrifices. So what is it that Peter tells us that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices? It's worship, praise, adoration, thanksgiving. These are our sacrifices. The debt has already been paid. No more do we fear drawing near. No more do we fear coming into His presence. Our debt has been paid. Our sins have been blotted out by the blood of Christ. We've been forgiven, reconciled, clothed by the righteousness of the Son of God. I don't have to timidly come before Him. I can come with boldness and with confidence. And I have access because of Christ. And I have confidence and I have assurance that coming into His presence, I will never be turned away. Never. This is a most glorious privilege. Even the most heinous and vile sinner to have ever lived, if that one be united to Christ, redeemed by Christ's blood, reconciled to God through Christ, even that one might have confidence, might have boldness, and might have access. What a miracle that you and I who were enemies, we were not neutral to God. We were enemies of God in our sin. What a miracle that we may be made through Christ to no longer fear to come into His presence.
Romans 8 verse 15 tells us, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you might cry, Abba, Father. We talked about this briefly at our prayer meeting the other night. It's like a child coming before their parent, never fearing to come into their presence. That's how we have confidence to come before the throne of God through Christ. Do you see that this is where Paul is drawing things together in Ephesians 1.5, he says he, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Access to the Father as a son. Confidence to come before Him as a son. Boldness to come before Him as a child of God. If you still have your finger in Hebrews, turn to chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. Do you remember what the high priest had to do to get into the holy place? He had to go behind the veil. By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Boldness, confidence, access through Christ. And lastly, here in verse 13, how does this affect one who has this mystery revealed to them? How does this affect the one who has caught a glimpse of the wisdom of God and the salvation of His people? Paul states here in verse 13, he actually asks here, that those who read this letter would not lose heart over what he is suffering. And he says he's suffering for them, which is their glory. What is Paul saying? He's saying that his tribulation, his difficult circumstances are for their glory. Not his glory but for their glory and for their benefit that he is sharing in the sufferings of His Savior for their good and for their glory. This is the means appointed to Him to bring to light 
all this that he has been revealing to them through this epistle. He writes in another epistle in 2 Corinthians 4. We've read this several times over the years. But he says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. If death is at work in us, but life, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us, us, uh, raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul is saying, in my suffering, it's for your glory, so that more and more people may be brought to a knowledge of Christ, and that it might lead to more thanksgiving, more of the glory of God. We read earlier in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, but we must see that it follows verse 8. In 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, Therefore, Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I'm speaking to myself here. But why are so many of us who are saved still looking so intently at our difficulties and our circumstances. Why are you cast down on my soul? The psalmist says that over and over. Why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God. These circumstances for the Christian are not meant for our eternal harm. There is nothing that will harm us eternally. Nothing. If they, if you are a child of God, they are meant for eternal glory. And they may be, as Paul says here in our text, for someone else's glory. They might be the light 
that shines in someone else's darkness, pointing them to Jesus Christ. Take heart, Christian. Hope in God. Show to the world around us and to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places how one that was once lost and unable to approach the throne without being completely obliterated now has confidence and boldness and access to God. This is what we should be trying to show to the whole world. And here is the reason why. To those that are lost, there is one important question that we have to ask. And it's the most important question that a person lost can ever be asked. This life is short. The older I get, it is short. It's fleeting. It goes by so fast. But they've got to realize, and we have got to, in any way that God would allow us to spread this message, we need to hit home to them that this life is not all there is. One day, every single person is going to come face to face with a holy, righteous God sitting on His throne. All-powerful, all the authority, all right to cast them into that hell, that fire, that place prepared for the devil and his angels. So here is the question, how can a sinner come near to God with full assurance of acceptance? How can one approach the great, holy, righteous God and have any hope of being accepted? It's the most important question you could ever ask anyone. There is only one way that anyone will stand before a holy God and not be consumed. You must be united to Christ by faith. Do you see what Paul is getting at here? Paul tells us in our text that all his, he has been saying has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence. If we are outside of Him, 
we cannot be accepted by God. But in Him, we have full assurance. We have boldness, we have access, and we have confidence. We want to tell a lost and dying world to run to Christ. Run to Christ before it's too late. Now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow you may not have an opportunity. Run to Him and beg for salvation and faith to believe. In Him, in Him, we have access. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the work of Christ. We thank You for His blood with which He has redeemed us. We thank You for His life, for His sacrifice. Lord, we thank You that in Him we may also be risen with Him, that we might be seated with Him in the holy place, in the heavenly places. Lord, give us grace and mercy. Lord, give us boldness to share this mystery, this revelation of Your wisdom in the redemption of Your people with others. Lord, may we be light to a dark world. Be with us this week. Keep us in Your Word. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.